Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode six of X Lapsed Nation, where uh, today we're going to be wrapping up the extermination mini series. Uh, it's not the last episode of the program; it's just the last chapter of this story. So let's get right on into it. This is extermination number five. It had a February 2019 cover date. The story's called Extermination Part Five of Five, written by Ed Brisson with art by Pepe Larraz. Colors, Mardi Gracia. Letters, VCs, Josebino. Edits, Shan White, Sobolski. Cover price, $5. This one went on sale December 19th of 2018. Now, we pick up right where we left off, uh, where it looks as though Cyclops was just run through by Ahab, thus changing everything about the present and future of the X-Men. Now, Ahab celebrates his victory by inviting his hounds to feed, Cable leans into Cyclops and tells him that he did good. Eh? Well, ready for the switcheroo? Turns out this wasn't Cyclops at all. This was just our old friend Calvin Rankin, the Mimic. See, Cyclops is off to the side somewhere covering his face because, you know, Rankin took his visor. Cable tries to convince Scott, the real one, to come back to the past with him. But our Slim ain't about to leave the X-Men in the lurch, no matter what the potential cost. He charges toward Ahab, which, you know, worked really well for his stand-in just a few pages ago. Kid Cable shouts to adult Jean to keep trying to get into the Hound's minds, as uh, this will be the key to ending the battle. Jean's having a real hard time of it, though. Now, just as Cable says this, Maxime and Manon begin houndifying several more of our X-Men, starting with Boom Boom and Warpath. Then, the cavalry finally arrives, straight out of the Xavier Institute for Gifted Higher Learning Youngsters Education, Mutant Enlightenment, Basket Weaving, and Flower Arranging. It's Kitty, Rockslide, Armor, Glob Herman, Cannonball, and Adult Iceman and Adult Angel. Now, Jean warns them to stay far away from the twins, to which Kitty focuses her forces on Ahab himself. Then, we get a double-page spread of X-Men on Hound Violence and... Oh boy, it looks really, really good. Uh, we've got X-Men vs. X-Men. Some nameless hounds are in there. It's just a, it's just a spectacular visual here. We got Old Man Logan taking on X-23. Uh, we got Armor in a giant, you know, bubble armor suit fighting a houndified Nesno. It's great. It really looks awesome. The colors pop. It is, it's beautiful. Then. Storm, who's been fighting with Ahab for a little while now, gets houndified and just goes nuts with the lightning. And in another awesome visual, the giant armor topples over onto the X-Men, who are just barely saved by the genes erecting a TK barrier bubble. And I mean, 
Words really can't do this art justice It's it's awesome stuff It feels epic Like you can almost hear it It's really, really spectacular Now inside the bubble Kid Cable attempts to reason with young Scott and Gene Telling them how important it is for them to You know, bug out In a fun bit Cyclops actually refers to his time-traveling son As Kid Cable Which little Nate does not appreciate which kind of reminds me of uh, Conel during uh, Reign of the Supermen not wanting to be called Superboy. It's, it's pretty cute. Now, Scott comes around and realizes that everything Cable is saying makes sense. Because, you know, it does. Now, young Gene calls out to the rest of the time-displaced original five to let them know that it's time to go home. Now, we get to see young Bobby's reaction, and it's pretty heartbreaking, considering the metamorphosis he'd undergone since arriving in the present. You see, he doesn't want to go back to live the lie. He's finally he's finally comfortable in his own skin here. He's comfortable with who he is. Adult Iceman's nearby, and he assures him that everything will be okay, and even thanks his younger self for helping him to sort out who he really is. Back with Cyclops, he tells Cable that this agreement to go back in time comes with strings. You see, before they go, they got to help take care of this hound problem. Cable doesn't really have much of a choice, and so we'll sort this out, too. Now, the Angels, they have a brief chat, it's probably worth mentioning, which is so surface-level, it almost makes me wonder if they'd ever met in the six years' worth of comics that they've both been in the same time frame here, you know? It's very, very surface-level. Then, Old Man Logan pounces on Cable, who blasts him away with his Liefeldian Mark 69 boomstick. Then... It's not a body slide, but it's a time slide by six. Ahab is ticked off that uh, the original five and Kid Cable got away, and he vows to follow them through the time stream to finish his endeavored task. Now, Kid Cable and the original five, which is a horrible name for a band, they arrive in front of the Xavier Academy of Good Guy Things and Correspondence Courses for those of the mutant persuasion, but they're definitely not back in the past. Rather, they're in the future. They're smack dab between the present and that future that Kid Cable saw when he started this adventure. Now, the original five aren't quite sure what to make of it, but Cable insists that uh, there's a method to this madness, and he's got a plan. Just then, Ahab and his Ark arrive. Cable hurries young Jean into the school so she can chat up Maxime and Manon. You see, this is in the future, but it's before Ahab had been able to corrupt them. And so, Jean heads inside and has a sit-down with the kids, and they tell her all about their powers. Back outside, Cable and the X-Fellas, which is another awful name for a band, attack. They don't attack Ahab directly, they attack Ahab's Ark. Now, this means that their peg-legged pursuer is now stuck. Jean rejoins the boys, and Cable time-slides them by five. The kid then charges at Ahab, grabs him some, and time-slides by two back to the present. Once there, Cable blasts the ever-loving bejesus out of Ahab, but the present refuses to change. You know, the hounds are still doing their thing. The X-Men are confused, because the original five, they're gone. What's going on here? Well, Cable, he insists that everything is going according to plan here. He says the original five just need to close the time loop, and then everything will work itself out. And so, we hop back to the past. And the original five are finally back home. They head into the school and they take their places right where they were during all-new X-Men number one, 
January 2013 cover date, Gene does the thing, wipes their minds. Now this closes the time loop and also fixes the present. Now you see the gimmick here is that the adult original five get all the memories of their formerly time-displaced counterparts. And so adult Gene now knows how to defeat Maxime and Manon since young Gene had that chat with them in the future. Make sense? Sort of? I mean, it's comics. It, it, it makes sense in, in the context. Now, everything's good, the dust is settling, the X-Men are licking their wounds, and as they do so, Ahab blinks out with Houndified Rachel. Now, she's the only Houndified X-Men not to return to normal following the loop closure, and uh, I'm not really sure where that's headed. I'm, I'm guessing we might find out. Kid Cable vows to find Ahab, and after a touching scene with his mom, who he refers to as Red from those you know post-wedding miniseries in the 90s, he blinks away. We jump to several days later where there's a funeral being held with three caskets. I'm guessing those caskets are for Cable, the adult version, Bloodstorm, and Mimic. Then we follow the remaining original four X-Men to a malt shop where they can reflect a bit and share a toast in honor of their dead friend Scott. That takes us to our epilogue and we're at Cable's safe house. He's reporting in that everything has gone back to normal and the potential crisis was averted. He heads over to the fridge to grab a beer, but doesn't drink it himself. Instead, he hands it over to the person that he's reporting to. And in our final page of this event miniseries, it's Cyclops, the adult version of Cyclops. Kid Cable says to Dad that it's time for him to finally resurface. And that's where we leave it. That's the end of the miniseries, but next episode, we're going to be taking a look at X-Men The Exterminated, the one-shot epilogue to this miniseries. And uh, after that, we'll be taking a look at another issue to uh, shed a little bit more light on how and why Cyclops came back. At least I hope so. I haven't read it yet, but I'm, I'm guessing that's probably what's coming. But let's talk about what we got here. I'm going to start with our overall, okay? Because uh, we... We just did five issues of Extermination plus the countdown, those those massive five pages. And I got to say, I enjoyed this all the way through. Um, it's worth saying that it ended pretty much how I expected it to. But, I mean, to be fair, it's really the only way it could have ended without messing everything up. I mean, earlier on in the series, we talked about the theories, right? We talked about the what-ifs. And that was when I wasn't sure... That this original five, the time-displaced original five, were actually from the 616. Looks like they were. I didn't know that because the last I heard they were not. <laughs> but, I mean, it's comics. Things change. So I was doing this brainstorming like, wow, if they do go back with all these memories, what's going to happen? And then it pretty much all falls into place that there's no way they can do this without wiping some minds. And it's exactly what they did. I do appreciate that the memories remain with the Elder Original Five, uh, and so it's not like the last six years that we were stuck with the time-displaced kids were swept under the rug here. All that stuff still matters. All that stuff still happened. I like it. I'm a fan of lore. I'm a fan of even inconvenient lore, which maybe some of this was. Maybe it's a little confusing. Maybe it's a little too much. But it's here, and it all counts, and I love it. Uh, now, let's look at the time travel aspects of this issue, which were a bit convenient, yeah, but at least they were, relatively speaking, straightforward. Because comics and time travel, 
that can get wonky. I mean, we did Major X not too long ago on this show, and uh, that was weird. <laughs> I mean, that was just all over the place. Here, everything just sort of, it fits. It wasn't too much, it wasn't overdone, and everything served a purpose, and everything was reflected in each time that we were that we visited, right? Now, the big problem we had here was that Maxime and Manon were houndifying the good guys at a rapid clip. And so, in order to fix this, we had to fix that. And we did. Uh, but are we to assume that the Maxime and Manon that are going to remain with the X-Men are time-displaced? Like, we got a figure. We, were, we went about ten years into the, into the future, I think, because I think in our countdown issues, we found out that the end was in 20 years. Right, because uh, the young X-Men, the time-displaced X-Men were all grown-ups So that was like 20 years into the future When we went to the Xavier School with Cable and the original five just now In the future, I think that was right between now and the, the, the end, right? So about 10 years So we gotta assume that these kids were plucked from about 10 years or so in the future Unless I'm misunderstanding this whole bit, which is certainly a possibility but if that is the case, because this was a time before they were corrupted by Ahab, so any time during that second decade, they were corrupted by Ahab. So this has got to be in the future, right? So if that is the case, that they are time-displaced, uh, would Kid Cable be cool with them staying put in the present? I mean, his whole gimmick right now is that he's uh, like a sort of keeper and protector of the time stream, which is... Why he killed his elder self, right? He killed him for being soft and being lax in his duties. It was he he retired him, right? That was the that was the euphemistic way of saying it. I, I don't know if he's gonna have a problem with these kids being here. I don't know if he's gonna even care that the kids are here because you know, sometimes stories are convenient. <laughs> sometimes story beats are convenient. But maybe we still got more to learn about the creepy twins here. Because I gotta figure, in the present, they're probably not born yet, you know? Since they were young in the future, they're probably not born yet, so maybe they will be born? And maybe that'll be a story that uh, Ed Brisson's gonna tell somewhere down the line? Maybe it's a story he's already told and I missed it. We'll find out. We'll find out. Now let's work through some of the story beats of the issue here. Let's start with our fake-out, with our uh, cliffhanger resolve here. Did Mimic know that he was going to die when he swiped Scott's visor? Like, was that the plan all along? Because, I mean, he died and Cable's like, hey, you did good. Was he just going to give Ahab his college best and hope to survive? Uh, I, I'm, I'd like to think so, but it seemed like he more or less jumped directly into Ahab's spear. <laughs> you know? So who knows? Who knows? Um, whatever the case, it was a, de- it was a decent fake-out. Um, a really creative use of the mimic in more ways than one throughout this miniseries here. I love that they used his uh, his wings to uh, to fix the problem that we had with Young Warren with those Hellfire wings or the Cosmic Fire wings, whatever the hell they were. I'm happy they were able to find a an organic way to fix that, to right that weird wrong. Um, uh, and also here, using him as Cyclops. Uh, I, I don't know that it would be... I mean, Cal Rankin's a grown-up, where Cyclops is a gawky, skinny teenager. So I... 
So, you know, the art, I mean, art is subjective, of course, but uh, you'd think that people would be like, hey, that's a grown man, not, not you know, teenage Cyclops. I don't know. <laughs> we'll let it go because uh, it was like a, it was a gotcha for us and it worked in that regard here. Not so much a gotcha for the characters in the book who probably should have known better. It's like, hey, that looks like a full-grown man. But uh, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Um, I'm not sure what Cal Rankin's status is right now. From what I remember growing up, he was always in that rarefied air of like Deadpool and the Juggernaut where a lot of folks and even some writers would say he's a mutant. But like the trading cards and San Lee would say they were not that he was not a mutant. <laughs> I don't know. For all I know, he's been retconned into actually being a mutant and is currently living on Krakoa. As a matter of fact, if I were a betting man, I'd bet that he is on Krakoa right now. What are you going to do? Uh, the Return to the Past. The Return of the Past, uh, very well done. I only have one complaint, and it has nothing to do with the book. It's just that all my comics are packed, and so I don't have easy access to my copy of All New X-Men number 1. Because <laughs> I want to see if this jives. I wanted to see how close the scene was to it. Uh, if I were a betting man again, I'd guess that it jives pretty well here. Uh, if you remember, this was the event miniseries where we were told that our back issues mattered. So I have very little doubt that they did their best to sync everything up. I, I have a lot of reason to believe that they... This seemed like it was done with a lot of love and care, so I'm gonna guess that I'm gonna guess that it syncs up really, really well. Uh, the original force uh, sharing a toast to Scott. Um, I liked that scene a lot. Uh, there was something about it I didn't like, but we'll get to it. But the scene itself, it uh, it was a it was a very sad scene, you know, because and it's weird to say because I mean. It's some. It's hard to convey. You know, it's like it's hard to see the missing piece of a puzzle, and it's hard to convey that in comics where so much, so many things like life and death in comics don't really matter, right? Here, though, we have these four friends. They've been friends forever. They're they're family, and and you can tell that there's one empty chair there. Even even if they didn't say a word, there you. We have this history of these characters. And the way that uh, Pepe Larez has them sitting, it is kind of uncomfortable. It is kind of... I mean, it's phenomenally done. But you can you can feel a little bit of tension and unease and sadness in this scene. And you actually feel like Scott's missing. And I mean, that sounds silly because he, he's certainly missing. It just The scene itself just didn't feel right without him. Scott belonged here. We know it. The creators know it, and the characters knew it as well. I liked that a lot. What I didn't care so much for was uh, Beast. Beast basically goes, oopsie, mayhaps I shouldn't screw with the time stream anymore. Like, that's his whole penance. Uh, I would have liked maybe a little bit more uh, self-flagellation than that, <laughs> but uh, I guess beggars can't be choosers, right? I, I would have liked him to be like, wow, I was such an idiot. Wow, I was so dumb, but it's just like, Oops. Hey, at least it all worked out in the end. Uh, now, speaking of Scott, I love the cliffhanger. I absolutely popped for it. I was not expecting it. I did not see it coming. Um, and I loved it. I I've been wondering for a long while how and when Cyclops came back. 
Um, when I left, he was. I left right after Secret Wars, so I knew he was dead. Then I found out that he was dead of the Terrigan Mists or whatever the hell the stupid Inhumans cramp. And I never knew how he came back. All I knew was that in X Men Volume 5, Number 1, the first Dawn of X issue, Cyclops is back. That's all I knew. So I've been wondering how he got to when and how he came back, and I'm glad to finally be seeing it here. And then in a couple of weeks, like I said, we're going to be taking a look at an issue that I believe explains it all. So next week, we're going to be doing X-Men The Exterminated. Then the week after that, we're going to be taking a look at Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 1. And I should probably clarify, because it's like the fifth or sixth Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 1. It's the one from probably 2019. Uh, Ed Brisson wrote it, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping that this is a continuation of his vision for, uh, for the character and for this story. So really looking forward to that. I've mentioned it a few times during this discussion here, but the art here was spectacular. The art is amazing here. What could have just been simple fight scenes looked uh, amazing. Uh, They were just epic, and like I said, it felt like you could hear them. (laughs) They were just that well done and fleshed out, and they were bright, and they popped. Uh, The entire art team here, hats off to them Just a wonderful, wonderful job here And this was a, uh, this was an oversized issue too And and you can, there was no slack here It was just really, really strong Wonderful, wonderful stuff So yeah, so I'm coming away from this mini-series event With uh, positive thoughts here All positive thoughts Really, really enjoyed my time with it I, if you have not read this, uh this miniseries, I, I highly recommend it. I, I'm guessing it's probably on Marvel Unlimited by now, and uh, I know there's a trade collection too because I bought it and never read it, <laughs> so it does exist. But uh, loved it. Thought this was really, really well done. Answered so many of my questions. Maybe that's why. Maybe I should throw in a disclaimer here that this miniseries just answered so many of my questions that I had since coming back into the X-Men fandom. That maybe. Maybe it, it, maybe I'm reacting to it with a bit more excitement than someone else might. So if you were reading, you know, the blue, the gold, the red, the black, and then you went into this, I don't know if you would have received it the same way I did. But if you are or were ex-lapsed like me, I think there's a lot here. There's a lot of meat on the bone here. A lot of a lot of questions get answered, and a lot of uh. A lot of things get folded up neatly and put in an envelope and just put away for a bit. So, really like the way they did this. Everything, to me, made sense. And uh, and it was gorgeous to look at. I mean, what more can you ask for? Uh, so, I think that's all I've got to say about this issue. Just a high recommendation. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, love to hear your thoughts on the entire event here. Uh, the original five, did they overstay their welcome? Did they go back too soon? What do you think about Calvin Rankin? <laughs> is he a human, a mutant, a mutate? What in the hell is he? Or was he? Or is he now? I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find me a few different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, and you can join us on Facebook. Our little group is called 90s X-Men, 90s X-Men, no hyphen. And you can also hear all sorts of noise over at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. 
Well, that's where we'll put a pin in it for today. I'd like to thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me and including me in your day today. Until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.